Thanks again for joining our online worship this morning. My name is Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace. For the past couple of weeks, we've been studying the book of Exodus. And last week, we started the famous passage where God delivers His Ten Commandments to the people of Israel. Last week, we looked at the first three commandments. This week, we're just going to look at one, the fourth commandment. And before we dig in, I want to remind us of two very important things. In fact, the two things I want us to remember throughout this series looking at the Ten Commandments, they are the setting and the intent. We need to remember that God speaks these words to His people from the top of Mount Sinai. He descended with the blast of a trumpet. The top of the mountain is ringed in cloud and smoke and lightning, and His people are gathered all around at the base of the mountain. It's in that setting that He speaks these ten words. It's really important for us to remember. Also, the intent of these words. We said God saves His people from slavery in Egypt. He brings them into the wilderness where there is absolutely nothing. And here, at the base of the mountain, He is engaging in recreation. He's creating a new people by giving them the Ten Commandments. He is recreating just like He did at the beginning of Genesis. It's an act of creation. Now, this morning, as we look at the fourth commandment, we're going to look at it through the lens of the setting and the intent. And so, as we hear Kip Jones read our passage for us this morning, I want you to ask yourself this question. If everybody is working for the weekend, what are you working for? Let's listen to the reading of God's Word. A reading from the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verses 1 through 2 and 8 through 11. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock, or the sojourner who is in your, within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Oh God, this morning we thank you for another opportunity to come together and hear from you, even though we are far apart. And we thank you that you promise, you tell us in your word, that whenever your word goes forth, it accomplishes the purposes that you intend it to, which means that even though we're, si- we're separate from each other, even though we might be in different cities, that you are still accomplishing your goal of changing us and renewing us and remaking us through the power of your spirit, applying the word to our hearts. So I ask that you would do that this morning. Send your spirit to us. Help us to not only know the truth, but believe it and be changed by it. I pray that my words would fall to the floor and only your words remain. And I pray this in Jesus' mighty and powerful name. Amen. One night when I was growing up, my older brother Adam and I camped out in our backyard. We pitched our little two-person tent between the big oak tree and our pool. And besides having a campfire, we did everything that you do when you go camping. We ate a lot of junk food. We read books by flashlight. He tried to scare me by telling ghost stories. And about 11.30, we started getting tired, decided to go to bed, but that's when we heard thunder off in the distance. Now, in Florida, hearing thunder doesn't mean you're going to be hit by a thunderstorm. It just means that there is a a storm cell nearby, different weather patterns than here in the Bay Area. 
But Adam wasn't going to take the chance. He knew that if we were asleep and a storm did hit, we might not be able to make it into the house and bring the tent with us. It could get tossed into the pool by the storm and ruined. So, he said, we need someone to stay up at all times uh, just to make sure that we can go in when it starts to rain. He said, I will take the later shift. I'll sleep now. You wake me up in two hours. Some of you can guess how this story ends. I went to wake him up at 1.30, and without even opening his eyes, he rolled over and he said, I don't think it's going to rain tonight. I should have seen this coming. Being the younger brother, I should have known that he was going to try and trick me in this way, or at least at some point in those two hours, I should have just fallen asleep. But I didn't. I couldn't because I was afraid. I was afraid if I fell asleep, it would start raining. I was afraid that we might be hit by a storm and the tent would go flying. I was afraid that I'd let my brother down. When you're afraid, you can't rest. In establishing his new creation, the nation of Israel, God is building into their routine a rhythm of work and rest. And in doing so, God actually addresses some of the most common fears that drive us humans to work like crazy people. This newly created nation is going to be entering a land surrounded by other nations that want to take the land from them. They want to take all their goods from them. They're entering in a world that is dominated by nations with powerful armies, a world where the good life is full of wealth and comfort, and Israel is going to learn from those other nations that power and comfort and wealth come from hard work. You want to be stronger? Work harder. You want to have more wealth? Work harder. You want more comfort? Ironically, work harder. Doesn't that sound like the world you and I live in today? In this fourth commandment, God tells his people, don't let fear control how you work and rest. God is inviting Israel into the freedom of this balanced rhythm of work and rest. Instead of taking cues from all the nations around them about how they should work and how they should rest, God says, look up, look to the mountain. Do you see this power? Remember that I use the power to rescue you. You are mine. I am your God you are my people, rest like me, and rest in me. Those are the two uh, aspects of the fourth commandment that we're going to look at this morning. Rest like God and rest in God. The first one we're going to start with is God's invitation to rest like Him. Now, the fourth commandment is one of the most specific, if not the most specific commandment that God gives here at Sinai. He tells the people what they should do what they shouldn't do, who this commandment applies to, and why he is telling them to do this. Uh, It's important for us to start with the why. So let's look at verse 11 together. God says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. God roots the fourth commandment in his own creative actions. God says, my people are going to reflect my own creative pattern, working six days, resting one day. Remember, God is recreating Israel. He's remaking them. He's shaping them in his own image, just as he did Adam and Eve, his first creations. And the aspect of God's character that they're to reflect here in the fourth commandment is his creativity by working six days and resting one day. Now, is God just telling Israel, 
hey, you know when I made all things out of nothing by the power of my word, I really found that like the six and one ratio was a pretty good one. You, why don't you guys try that? Maybe, maybe see if that works for you. I mean, he wouldn't be wrong to do it that way, but beyond that, God here is saying, my children are going to be set apart from the other nations by giving up work for one whole day. Now, to us, living in a five and two work week and weekend uh, scheduled life, that sounds pretty normal. But this was a big deal back then because the gods of all the other nations around there demanded that their people work right? In order to appease the God, in order to get the blessing from that God, they had to bring the fruit of their labor. They had to work hard enough in order to bring their best to, quote-unquote, please the God and receive some form of benefit. In essence, the person was only as good as their output. Their life was only as good as their work. If you wanted a better life, you had to work harder in order to please the God more. Now, don't be fooled we still live in a society in which our gods demand us to work. All you have to do is look at the numbers. The U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics says that the average productivity of the American worker has increased by 400 percent since 1950, which means that it should take about one-fourth the number of hours to work today in order to achieve the same standard of living as it did in 1950. Basically, 11 hours of work a week should afford the average worker the same lifestyle. Of course, we know it doesn't. Also, the International Labor Organization tells us that American workers work 137 more hours a year than Japanese workers, 260 more hours per year than British workers, and 499 more hours a year than French workers. We even are willing to admit that we are overworking ourselves. The American Time Use Survey cataloged 85.8% of males and 66.5% of females working more than 40 hours a week. We are slaves to gods who demand us work. Now, things certainly have changed because of the coronavirus, because of sheltering in place. As Bob said, many of us are working a lot, but seemingly productivity is down. I was talking with my sister at the beginning of our shelter-in-place order, and we were marveling about how many pictures of Zoom meetings people are putting up on their social media. And she said it this way. I think she got it exactly right. People continue to post Zoom meeting pictures because they want everyone to know they're still working that they haven't just slacked off, that they haven't given up. They have to prove that they are still putting out. That is exactly correct. Now, maybe you're not in a business setting where you have Zoom conferences that you can post, but maybe you're a student. Maybe you're at home caring for your family or others' families. Maybe you're a healthcare worker working in hospital or in some sort of nursing facility caring for others. We all have some work that is driving us at which we work and work and work, and we continue to participate in this endless cycle of work. Why? Because we're afraid. We're afraid that we'll be seen as lazy. We're afraid that if we don't do enough, maybe we're going to get left behind or passed over for a promotion. I'm afraid that you, that the session, that Bob will think that I'm not pulling my weight around here. I'm afraid that those of you who haven't heard from me personally are going to question my effort. Am I really working hard enough? And I really believe if you sit quietly and you look into your heart, you'll feel the truth 
that we all judge each other by our output, and you're pretty disappointed with your output at times. We're afraid of how we're going to be seen. God tells Israel, He tells His people, you're going to be different. He says, my people are serving a God who isn't appeased or placated by all the work and sacrifice that the other gods out there require. I'm a God who gives His people a rhythm, six days of work, one day of rest. In my family, we work six and we rest one. How do we even engage with that? How do we begin to start to apply that to our lives? I mean, it, it seems easy enough, just work six days and rest one day, but we don't do that, do we? What would it look like if we did? Well, I, I've heard Bob ask it this way, and I'm going to steal it because I'm up here preaching and he's not. How would your coworkers or your roommates or your family members or the other PTA parents respond if when you were greeted, hey, how are you doing? You answered with, I'm well rested. What kind of crazy looks would you get? What kind of questions would they ask you? Better yet, what would people think of the church? What would they think about God if His people were known as the well-rested people? That sounds great, but even talking about stopping work for one full day and doing all the work in the other six, it begins to make me feel a little nervous inside. I'm not sure that I can actually do that, which is why we need to see God's invitation, not just to rest like Him, but also to rest in Him. We should rest in God. You know, thinking about this six-in-one thing, it, it does seem a little bit inefficient, maybe at least unsustainable. I think I could do that for, for a week, maybe two, but doesn't it sound better to just give a little rest, maybe an hour and a half to two hours every day? Because there's stuff that I have to do. There's so much that falls on my shoulders. And when I start to think about the amount of work that I have to do that only I do, I begin to ask the question, if not me, then who? See, below the fear of being defined by your output, there's another fear. And it comes from the assumption that completing your work, that achieving success, that being comfortable is up to you and you alone. And if you don't work hard, you might not make it. You might not be comfortable. You might not be able to retire when you want to retire. You might not succeed. You might not be enough. That's why we have to understand what God intends when He calls His people to cease from working one day in seven. Let's look at the beginning of this commandment. Verse 8, God says, "'Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy.'" Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but in the seventh day, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. The language that God uses here, remember the Sabbath day, uh, is much more than just some kind of uh, intellectual thought process, right? It's more than blocking off time on your calendar so you don't put anything in there. It's more than waking up Sunday morning and reminding yourself, right, I'm, I'm not supposed to do anything today. Whenever remember is used in Scripture, it has a far more active quality to it. It's, it, it involves uh, commemorating with action, engaging with something. For example, God remembers Israel in their slavery in Egypt. It's not as though God went, oh yeah, I hadn't thought about the Hebrews in a while. They're slaves. But it actually leads him to do something about his remembering that causes action. 
right? The same is true in the New Testament when we see Jesus tell the the disciples at the Last Supper, whenever you eat this bread and drink this wine, you do so remembering me, right? Jesus isn't just saying when you grab a Big Mac, think, oh yeah, Jesus did this once. It's, It's more than that, and we know that because as he handed them the bread, he didn't say, here's some bread. He said, this is my body. Remembering implies engagement. So God is telling Israel in this commandment to stop their working and remember this day, right? It's an engaging rest. It's an active rest. Well, engaging in what? The work and rest of God for you. Now, Stephen, you might say, that's not helpful. You just restated the commandment when you're trying to explain it. Can you, this doesn't make sense. You weren't helpful there. Thankfully, God has already given His people a great example of what engaging rest looks like. Several months before they get to Sinai, Israel is wandering out in the wilderness, and they don't have any food. They cry out to God. God hears them, and He sends manna from heaven, this grain-like bread substance that falls from the heavens at night. And God tells His people, every morning, go out and gather enough manna just for the day, except the sixth day when you should gather twice as much because I'm not going to send any manna on the seventh day. It's it's going to be a day of rest, a Sabbath. You will cease from working. Now, Exodus 16, 27 tells us some people went out on the seventh day to gather manna, and there was none there. God forces His people to rest on that day. They can't gather anything up, but He also wants them to be fed. So He provides enough for them on the sixth day to carry over through their day of rest. This Sabbath day that God is inviting His people into is a day in which we rest in the provision of God already at hand. Now, Israel, at the base of the mountain, is not being invited to rest in God's food provision. That's part of it. But they are being invited to rest in God's provision that He reminds them of in verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I have rescued you. I am powerful for you. God says, don't let the fear that you are alone and responsible for your life drive you to unending work, to 24-7 productivity. You can't protect you. Productivity cannot guarantee safety or a future. I can, God says, and I have. So rest knowing that I have provided protection, security, safety, and peace, even when the world rages around you. And I think this is where I struggle to rest the most. I feel the immediate needs around me. I sense the chaos in the world out there, yes, but I see the mess around me, and I feel the weight of responsibility, and I feel like I'm the one that has to take care of this. It shows up in in little simple ways, right? I struggle to go to bed when there are dirty dishes in the sink, right? Nothing is going to happen if I leave the dishes there, but something inside me says, you could do something about this. You should do something about this. And so my work ethic kicks in, right? I see Nicole preparing meals for us every night. I see her teaching our girls uh, during homeschooling. I see her preparing Zoom play dates for them. I see her working her own job, and I think, I'm not enough. I need to do more. I need to work more. I need to find more work to do. I need to measure up. Now, is it a good thing that work is getting done? Absolutely. 
but it's being driven by fear. That's why we need to hear the words of Jesus in Matthew 11 that were our call to worship this morning. He says in Matthew 11, 28, "'Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light.'" Notice that Jesus doesn't say, come to me, all ye who are tired of working, and I'm going to let you kick your feet up and just chill and not do anything ever again. Uh, Come to me, and I'll give you an excuse to not have to work. No, because that's not true freedom. True freedom comes when we work as we've been called to work, six days, and we rest on that one day in God's work finished for you. Jesus worked for you. He took on flesh He lived a perfectly sinless life. He obeyed God fully, including this fourth commandment. He obeyed further as He was unjustly nailed to the cross. And as He hung there, He cried out, it is finished. The work that you needed done in order to reconcile you to God, your Creator and your Father, Jesus accomplished it. It is done. So rest in those words. What does it look like for us today to engage in that rest, to actually engage in God's finished work? Well, we're we're doing one right now. Worshiping is the response, the engagement to God's work on our behalf. We also see throughout Scripture that deeds of justice and mercy and service are ways that we engage with God's finished work for us. How are you serving someone today? How are you being merciful to someone today. Those are ways in which we can engage with God's finished work for us. It's not just resting and not doing anything, but it's actually engaging with God's work for us. Now, I've learned the the value of resting and active rest in somewhat of a humbling way. Uh, I couldn't find another, a better illustration than a CrossFit illustration at this point. Um, the CrossFit gym Nicole and I go to, CrossFit Currahee, which is on uh, Winchester down just south of downtown Campbell, uh, announced pretty early on in the shelter-in-place that they were going to be posting at-home workouts, workouts that you could do with minimal equipment at your house. And as soon as they said that, I realized I'm going to be able to do these workouts seven days a week. I'm not having to drive to Palo Alto or Hayward for appointments anymore. I'm not having to drive my girls to school every morning. I'm I'm going to be able to get ripped. In fact, I'm pretty sure at one point I remember telling Nicole early on, very early on, I'm going to get up early and I'm going to run on the treadmill in the morning and then do the CrossFit workouts in the afternoon. It didn't happen. It hasn't happened at all. Uh, but we have moved from working out three or four times a week to working out five days a week. Now, those other two days are rest days. And I realized really quickly I couldn't sustain seven days a week. Some people might be able to, that's great, but I can't. My body needs to rest. My muscles were physically exhausted, and my mind had had been exhausted by pushing myself so hard. I needed two rest days. Thankfully, our coaches don't just program a rest day where you sit on the couch all day or you lay out in the hammock all day, but it's active rest, right? Engaging the muscles in a non-taxing way to get the blood and all of the fluids and all of your everything inside flowing and moving in order to help your body recover. I need rest that is active, right? That is what God is inviting his people to do on a spiritual level. 
Your soul needs rest. Your body, your mind, your spirit needs rest. But not just to go blank, to engage with what God has done for you. So as we end, let me ask you these questions. Why is taking a full day of rest seem so hard? Is it the fact that it's just inconvenient? Do you see it as being inefficient? What about the reason for your work? Why are you driven to work with your work, whatever it might be? Is it fear that you might be left behind, that you might be seen and your output might be lacking, and so you might be judged as inefficient or weak or lazy? Or is it the fear that you're not enough, that all of uh, the life that you want is up to you, and if you don't work hard enough, you're just not going to make it? Instead, I would encourage you to embrace this commandment as an invitation to freedom, working and resting like God Himself, an invitation not only to engage in this divine rhythm of six days work, one day rest, but also to see that that rest comes from a place that is anchored in God's work on your behalf. God, who, can, who does work to do mighty and powerful things, has worked for you, and He rested because it is finished. Let's pray. God, we come before you this morning, and we confess that we have a problem with work. We don't know how it fits into our life really well. We struggle in order to get good balance. And so we thank you that even here in this passage from Exodus, you have set forth the rhythm that you established yourself in creating all things. We ask that you would give us the strength to be able to participate in that and help us to have grace for ourselves and for others when we fail. Help us to rest in the reality that even though we can't keep this commandment perfectly, that your son did on our behalf, that he worked, he obeyed, and he died for us. Help us to rest in him and in him alone. We pray in his mighty and powerful name. Amen.